This is episode number 122 with Miles Scott. The definition of a fuckboy isn't just someone who validates themselves at the expense of another person. It's someone who doesn't set up their intentions up front. Because the difference between a fuckboy and somebody who just wants to experience life is that the fuckboy doesn't set their intentions and they do it with a purpose, like they want to sleep with you, but will purposely not set their intentions with you and lead you on and allow you to think that they're going to pursue something more. The only way somebody can be used is if you didn't agree to it as well. That's a, a very sticky subject as well because um, you know women also have their reasons for sleeping with men. Not only is my ego being fed right now by women, by sleeping with them, but my male peers are also praising me for it. Like, oh dude, you, you slept with her? Man, she's a 10, right? So now I was getting it from both sides. And even if I was like, it was harmful to half the population, because I was getting it from getting praise from my male peers, I had something to fall back on. There was like no consequence for my actions. She called me these, these names, and I'll never forget it because of how it impacted me during my awakening. She called me a narcissist. She called me an obsessive compulsive liar, a manipulator, and very controlling. And um, I would always deny it in that, in that time because I didn't want to see myself any, any way other than the way I wanted to see myself. Welcome to Claiming Your Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Franny Nicole. When we are born, we're not told about the struggles that life will present and how it will affect us within. Over time, we begin dealing with the frustration, the loss, the huge obstacles and roadblocks that life inevitably puts in our way. And for some, this is a breaking point. And for others, this is where they thrive. Each week, we'll bring you the breakdowns and breakthrough stories from some of the most influential people in their fields. It is these stories of redemption we hope will resonate, creating a space for that is powerful, productive, and life-changing. Because when it all comes down to it, all you have to do is claim your truth. What is up, podcast listeners? Franny Nicole here, and happy Saturday. A few days late from posting this episode than my usual Wednesday, but my trip last week had me wiped out when I got back Tuesday. Have you ever felt like you needed a vacation from your vacation? It took me a total of 23 hours traveling door to door from canceled flights to delayed flights. I don't think I want to travel for a while, but I say that now, but I'll be in San Francisco and Las Vegas next week, so life must go on. I don't know if you all know this method, but I recently discovered something called 30 times 30 times 30. If you do just 30 seconds more of what you love day after day, you will likely be much more fulfilled at the end of the year. If you spend 30 consecutive days acting on an interest and don't hate it, you have likely found a potential career. And if you hate it, you know, at least you explored it, right? If you plan on taking 30 years to build exactly the life you want, you will have much more patience for the little bumps along the way. So I've now started spending 30 seconds more on something I love, 30 straight days on an interest I don't hate, and now spending the next 30 years to build the life I want. Just thought I would share that with you all in case you want to do it too. Okay, for this week's mantra, I chose less is more. I use this mantra in the evening 
when I feel like I haven't done enough for the day, many busy working women and business owners, um, busy men as well, we can get ahead of ourselves with ideas, projects, and to-do lists, and we end up overwhelmed and underproductive. I use it proactively when planning my busy life. We don't have to cram a million things into our day. We can put all of our attention, love, and connection into one wonderful thing. It also comes up when I get shopping urges, um, as most women do, and I realize I don't really need more. Less is just fine. So, less is more. This week, I interview Miles Scott. I always love how the universe brings people together, and the universe did just that with me meeting Miles. The first time I heard about Miles was on Good Morning La La Land, where he talked about his upcoming debut book, Death to Fuck Boys. I found his story so fascinating. I knew I wanted him to come on the podcast and share it. I put his name on a list of potential podcast guests and went on with my day. Not even two weeks later, I get a message from Kevin Crenshaw, who I did the episode on rejection with, and he asked me if I was interested in having Miles Scott on my show. I laughed because of how I already had him on my list. And now I was given the opportunity to have him be a guest. So let me tell you what I loved so much about Miles. In his debut book, DTF, Death to Fuck Boys, he shares his raw truth without fear in a conversational storytelling format. It highlights how his fuckboy identity was formed, sexcapades that objectified women, issues he caused in relationships that he was blind to that he shares with readers, the healing process that rewired his brain to think and act from a source of truth and love rather than fear and ego. The message in this book transcends the story of his fuckboy identity and can be applied to any and all who have been caught in the deceptive web of fear, regardless of whether or not they recognize it. Miles is an advocate for mental health awareness and suicide prevention and is in support to start a movement to change the collective mindset on self-love, dating, and relationships. On an individual level, he aims to guide those that lost their way like he did and to help them understand how to derive their self-worth from within. I don't want to share too much, so let's go ahead and bring him on. So today on Claiming Your Truth podcast, we have Miles Scott, former fuckboy. Awaken. Welcome to Awaken. Thank you for coming to the show today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, how long have you been here in Los Angeles? I know you recently moved here from Georgia. How are you liking it so far? I love it. The weather is beautiful. The people here are beautiful. And what brought you out here originally? So I moved here from Atlanta. Okay. And I brought, well, I came out here for um, more collaborations, mainly to meet people like yourself in this, in this beautiful city and just kind of like spread the message of, of love and um, self-love. So former fuckboy Awaken, for my audience that maybe doesn't know what a fuckboy is, can you give a little bit of a background on what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a fuckboy is somebody, basically a fuck anybody really, is um, somebody who validates themselves at the expense of, of another person. Okay. So for me as a fuckboy, I validated myself at the expense of women because it was a way to fill the void I was incapable of filling at the time. And how long ago was this that you had your awakening? It was actually a little bit over a year ago. Okay, so it's still fairly yeah, it's pretty recent. Fairly new, and you're in the process of writing a book, or is it finished, or what's going on with that? Um, it is being shopped around with publishers right now. 
Oh, so it should be either going the traditional route or self-published pretty soon. Well, that's really exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, let's play a little 20 questions so my audience can get um, a little background of who you are, where you come from. Where did you, so you grew up in Atlanta and can you tell a little bit about your story? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up in Atlanta. I actually moved there when I was 10 years old. Okay. From Connecticut. In Connecticut, um, I was like, I fit in very well in Connecticut because I was Jewish and I was small, and I feel like everyone is a little bit more Jewish and more small <laughs> up north for some reason. Here in in the in the South, um, I felt very small compared to everybody else, and I my the reasoning I came up with was that I was vegan at the time, and I didn't have meat and the hormones in the meat they make you grow right. You're vegan at ten years old. I was a vegan for thirteen years of my life. Oh, okay. Yeah, my parents were kind of hippie. That's cool. In a sense, yeah. But it made me feel different than everybody because I was not only eating differently, but I was smaller than everybody, and I was Jewish in a predominantly Christian environment. Okay. So I had to figure out how to find my worth relative to everybody else. Um, and the one thing about the South was that it never felt like home to me. I was always feeling different. And so I kind of had to like raise my uh, metaphorical voice, in a sense, to find my, my worth relative to everybody else. And doing that, you were just, I don't want to say that you were finding women disposable, that you were just trying to find your worth with in other women. So that actually started happening once I grew up. Okay. Right. So once I grew up, I was actually, I lost my virginity at 17. It was my senior year in high school, and that's when my growth spurt happened. So all throughout high school, I wasn't even, I was like 5'1", freshman year, 5'3", sophomore year. Oh, yeah, that is tiny, because you're pretty tall now. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I've grown a lot <laughs> in lots it's of ways. It's hard to imagine you being that small. Yeah, it was. it's crazy. I mean, a lot of people in my family grew up uh, okay. were late bloomers, and um, some of them hung from door frames in order to try to stretch themselves taller. And so I did the same thing. Like, I was trying to grow <laughs> no matter what it took. And then when I was 13, I was like, Mom, Dad, I'm eating meat now. <laughs> like, I've got to grow. And uh, I also don't want to practice Judaism anymore. And what did they say? What was their reaction? Uh, they were supportive. Yeah. Well, that's good. It would have been much harder if they were like, no, you have to go to temple and you have to mm -hmm. stay vegan. It's true. I, mean, I got luck lucky with my parents, for sure. So you were saying that you were the only Jewish boy in school or it was just everybody was Christian or how was that for you? So I went to public school here over there in Georgia and um, most people were Christian. And um, there weren't too many Jewish kids that I hung out with. Okay. Um, I was bullied, not only because I was small, but because I had a different faith. And what was the kind of things that they were doing to you? Um, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, just like physical bullying, um, name calling, that kind of thing. And what was one of the things that you consistently say to yourself in the lowest, your lowest moments during that time? Man, I mean, at that time, my mentality was totally different than it is now. Yeah, but so back then, definitely yeah. not nothing inspiring. <laughs> um, back then, I would say like, why is this happening to me? Like, what's wrong with me? Well, like, what kept you going? Soccer, that was where I found my worth. That was your outlet. Yeah, that's good. Soccer's a good sport. Mm -hmm. Football. <laughs> yeah, and um, because I was a lot smaller than everybody else, I had to figure out how to be become really good at that sport, and that's where I really found my identity um, at the time, and that's. That was my identity. Soccer was my entire life up until I hit 17. Okay. And my growth spurt happened, and I finally got a bunch of female attention all at once. That's always nice. 
female attention <laughs> yeah. all at once. Well, I mean, when you don't have any and you grew up without it, it's just it's always nice to finally have it. Kind of. So it was also destructive for me because I didn't know how to handle it. Because it came all at once and I never had it before, I... You didn't know how to handle it all? Mm-mm. What, no. was the, what was the kind of things that you were doing once it, and you started getting all the attention? I was taking advantage of every opportunity to get laid. And I would not set my intentions up front because I didn't really have any. I was just trying to enjoy the moment, but I wouldn't say that either. And so that's really... And I actually haven't um, explained this a lot to my, my followers or anybody who knows of me. Um, but the definition of a fuckboy isn't just someone who validates themselves at the expense of another person. It's someone who doesn't set up their intentions up front. Because the difference between a fuckboy and somebody who just wants to experience life is that the fuckboy doesn't set their intentions and they do it with a purpose, like they want to sleep with you, but will purposely not set their intentions with you and lead you on and allow you to think that they're going to pursue something more. So like being used in a way. Can be used. The only way somebody can be used is if you didn't agree to it as well. Right? Okay. So, you know, that's a, a very sticky subject as well because, um, you know, women also have their reasons for sleeping with men. That's true. Yeah. So it just depends on the that individual dynamic between those two people who was being used. But that's kind of a conversation for another day. Yeah. Because um, it is very sticky. Do you think that someone who is a fuckboy with someone specifically can change their mind mid relationship or whatever they're they're currently in with a, a specific person let's say they didn't set their intention with one person but then change their mind halfway in do you see that as a common theme or is it just they're just out to get laid with who and whenever i think a fuck boy will finally commit if that person strokes his ego enough in order to make him say okay i found the one that's she's hot enough or like she does it for me which is usually about looks. It's a very validation-driven, ego-driven. They yeah. want the fuckboy cares so much about what other people think of him, which is why he's that insecure and why he does what he does. Yeah, that he would need a mate that would also make him look very good in front of other people. That's true. I think us women know when we're being, you know, when we're getting involved with a fuckboy, and then we always have that mentality of like, oh, we're gonna change their mind. We're gonna change them. We're gonna, you know, make mm-hmm. them commit um, commit to me and be, mm-hmm. you know, marriage material. But it never works out. But we know that they're a fuckboy, but we always go after them anyways. Why do you think that is? Well, we're optimistic lovers. We wanna we wanna believe that they're going to recognize our value or the way we see ourselves. Um, and we're very. It's also a familiar pattern to us or to them. Um, we want to feel like we're in control. And so we will put ourselves in situations where we know the outcome because that makes us feel like we're in control. Okay. I sometimes think that we want to believe that we can change them, but we don't, we're the same way. And we just tell ourselves that we can, we're better than that and we can change them, but we're just the exact same type of person. And that's why we go after those toxic type of relationships. That's a great point. So you're saying that, if I understand you correctly, yeah. um, a, f- a girl who dates a fuckboy is also a fuck girl. Yeah. Because they know mm. 
I mean, at the end of the not, not every single one, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of innocent women who truly want to be in a relationship with someone and don't understand like what they're getting into. But there's some that know and they don't care and they just they're the same type of personality. It's quite possible that there are some scenarios where that yeah. would make sense to me. I think a lot of it has to do with like the not being able to or not thinking that they're able to break old patterns. Mm-hmm. And I think it also comes down to self-worth because if they truly believe that they deserve better, they wouldn't continue to be attracted to this kind of man. And so that's another one of my goals is to help not only men like my former self overcome the things that they overcome the things that I um, overcame to help them, you know, become more conscious in their, in their life and be more aware, but also for women too. Like the, the message is universal. Yeah, it is. You know, healing from within and deriving your sense of self worth from within is such a universal topic that um, I don't want to like limit my message just to men. Yeah. You said you started this when you were 17. How long were you doing this before you had your awakening? Mm. I have no idea how old you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 30. Okay. Um, so for quite some time. Quite some time, yes. So when I was 17, uh, this was my senior year in high school, uh, I started sleeping around. And then I went to college and I started sleeping around even more. And uh, Where did you go to college? I went to Georgia State University. Cool. Mm-hmm. I'm not too familiar with any of like the southern... It's okay. Anything. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> Just that hot Lana. Hot Lana. Yeah. Um, so it took me, like, even after college, um, I was still in that phase because all it really is is a phase of needing external validation. For some people, that phase lasts their entire lives. Some people, it's after divorce when something traumatic happens and they finally realize that there's more to life than what other people think. Yeah. And so that's kind of like the start of the spiritual journey in its essence is challenging your identity and your identity is the outward projection of you. Um, and it's very, very uh, reliant on other people's opinions of you. What happened to you early on that you felt that you needed that external validation? Well, I was small. I mean, besides that, I just feel like it's not that it's not... You know, that doesn't validate your feelings, but I just feel like if there was there anything else that you it was missing from your life that you needed that validation from women? Um, yeah, there was a lot of things, right? So I was different than other people, and usually that's enough. Like, to feel like you don't have any self-worth other than, you know, how you create it in the eyes of other people. Um there were a lot of insecurities going on. I just felt less than, and I was living from a lack mindset. And um, I would would pick things about myself that I didn't like all the time. Like I didn't like my nose. Um, I didn't like the way my hands looked or the way my feet were like somewhat small. Or like when I was a kid and I was such a late bloomer, I thought I had a really small penis and I did. (laughs) <laughs> like to, to my standards, right? Yeah. And so all these things were, were like. I don't mean to laugh. It just I just wasn't no, expecting that from it's you. It's okay. Yeah. Now. Like let's get real here. I mean, these are the things that plague a man sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, growing up and not getting any validation from women. I mean, maybe here and there, but it wasn't like 
I didn't feel worthy of it if I did get it. Um, and then finally, when I got it all at once, it was like, not only is my ego being fed right now by women, by sleeping with them, but my male peers were also praising me for it. Like, oh, dude, you, you slept with her? Man, she's a 10. Right? So now I was getting it from both sides. And even if I was like, it was harmful to half the population, because I was getting it from getting praise from my male peers, I had something to fall back on. There was like no consequence for my actions. Yeah. You're at that age too, like you think you're invincible and then nothing, you know, you're kind of irresponsible. We have no responsibilities. We're still living at home. We don't really have any bills to pay. You just go out and do whatever you want to do. Yeah, it's a learning experience for sure. And I appreciate you kind of like, you know, being understanding of it. But I think it's a very important um, and destructive lifestyle um, to be seeking validation in that sense. Yeah. Right. And then using or manipulating situations and people in order to get what you want. And that kind of led me to like the highest validation of my life and then the lowest low of my life. And I can go into that. Um, yeah. If you'd like. Mm-hmm. Please do. <laughs> so it, it kind of all escalated. I was always searching for the next validation, the next high, the next dopamine rush, like the next woman to feed my ego the next um situation that would make me feel like I was important and I really never reflected on all of these things until after uh, I went on a um a reality tv show in 2016 I believe that's when they filmed it and then it aired in 2017 and it was like a dating show right but for me in my fragile egoic sense of self um, which I was overcompensating for. I thought everything was like the epitome of amazing. Like, yeah, I'm like, I feel important. This is great. I get on the show. And um, what show was it? It was called Married at First Sight Second Chances. Married at First Sight. Okay, yeah. sounds familiar. It's a spin off show from a, another show called Married at First Sight. Okay. Um, not much to report there, you know, but all, of, all I wanted to report was that it made me feel important and um afterwards i got into a relationship with somebody strictly for egoic reasons in my eyes she was 11 out of 10 she had everything i wanted physically um she had a kid and i was like oh no no i don't want that want that but like i found myself continuously coming back to her and then we ended up getting into a relationship and um we started that relationship for all the wrong reasons at least i did and um, even though I thought I was done being a fuckboy and I was ready to settle down with somebody who fed my ego, I didn't realize how many toxic traits and behavior patterns that I currently still had at that time. And I would lust after other women. Um, I would ignore, like I wouldn't be very sensitive to her feelings because I thought I would be right. Um, and like if my intentions and my intentions were always good, but if I let my intentions become more important than the way she interpreted my actions and, um, I couldn't really be there for her in a sense when she got really upset because I felt like I didn't do anything wrong. Cause you weren't to blame for anything. Right. 
And so this relationship was extremely toxic. Extreme, like really, 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 really toxic. Um, I'll go into a little bit more detail just to give you kind of a, an idea. When things got heavy with us, I would run away. I would break up with her and I was like, I do not want this. And it was because she also had her own healing to do. And because of the way she was raised, she was raised with anger. And so she developed these um, extremely angry um, reactions, right? And that was kind of how she showed love in a sense. And I couldn't deal with anger. I had an avoidant personality because I was avoiding myself. And so I would avoid everything in the relationship as well. And um, every time we got in a heated argument, I would run. And I would just be like, I do not want this. Like, you're crazy. You're you're just so loud and obnoxious. Like, we can't talk about anything. I'm out. And I justified that, right? And I didn't really take any responsibility for my contributions to the argument. So I just kind of blamed it on her for being so angry. And um, that happened three times. I broke up with her three times. And then on the third time, I actually went to California again. And I stayed in Topanga Canyon. I did this, like, um, holistic new age medicine. It was called Cambo. Have you heard of it? Uh Uh-uh. So Cambo is a frog venom. And a shaman comes in your home and pokes you with burnt incense down your arm so that you know it creates an entryway into your bloodstream then she lathers this frog venom mixed with either saliva or water into your exposed um, wounds now and this frog venom seeps into your body and it's supposed to clear you of your physical mental emotional and spiritual toxins so similar to like ayahuasca yes sort of not in a way but not um, hallucinogenic at all okay but it was very debilitating. Like you couldn't even move your arms, your legs. (laughs) And at the same time, you're purging yourself physically of all these toxins. So you're throwing up in a bucket and you, sometimes you have to take a a huge shit, um, which happened to me. And uh, (laughs) I couldn't move my body and I had to take a shit. And I was like, shaman, but I couldn't actually say that. (laughs) So I was like trying to get her attention. And uh, I'm definitely going on a tangent here about this Cambo okay. adventure. <laughs> but, uh, Speak your truth. Yeah. So um, anyway, I'm going to skip the details of the, of the purging of the toxins. But really after that, I felt so clear. And instead of being like I, the intention that I set before doing this was I want to rid myself of this attachment to my ex. But it did the opposite. I now felt like I was the man that she had been asking me to be the whole time. And so I called her up. It's been three weeks since we broke up. I called her up and I said, hey, I'm ready to be the man that you, th- you want me to be. She was like, no, you're not. You've never been. You're lying to yourself like you always do. And um, I was like, no, no, I really am. I really am. So I traveled back from California to Atlanta. And I get, we had gotten a place together. And so I moved back in with her. And she wanted nothing to do with me because the trust was so broken. And so I had to try to win her her love back or earn it back. And that's when I did something. I I knew I had to do something desperate. So I told her I'm going to be the rock in the relationship. No matter what happens, I'm never going to leave you. And she had a lot of pain still that she was holding on to from the past and how I broke all the trust and... um, you know, and, and there was other things in there too. It wasn't just 
because of our relationship, you know, it was like a lot of conditioning and it was a lot of, um, you know, her past experiences that she hadn't yet healed to. And so there was a lot of pain there. And, um, when I came back, I, I found out that she was also, uh, she became a stripper and an alcoholic and, um, within that three week time frame. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Maybe she didn't become an alcoholic. Maybe that's projection, but she did have trouble with her alcohol. Okay. And, um, so moving forward from that, like, you know, she would avoid my touch and all this stuff. And then, you know, I had to win her, win her, win her back. And so I became the rock and no matter what she did, I would take her back until, you know, finally she cheated on me, um, with a female and then again with a male. And I was just like very heartbroken and, um, you know, she got a DUI and some nights she wouldn't come home and like, you know, she was stripping and then I wake up in the middle of the night, she's not even there. I'm like freaking out because she had gotten a DUI, and then like I didn't know where she was. She could be she could be cheating on me, uh, cheating on me, and there were all these trust issues going back and forth. And I was still like trying to be be the good man there, but um, you know I actually uh, looked at a, a female's butt once, and it was like, oh shit, you're not the man that you said you were gonna be, and all hell broke loose. And she ended up uh, finally cheating on me, and then uh, yeah, that was it. So she saw you as who you used to be, not who you became. And she just only saw you as that. Yeah. It was, I mean, forgiveness is such a a skill, you it know? Is. To forgive and forget. You can forgive, but always remember. Yeah, to truly forgive yeah. is like, you have to understand people's situations. You don't necessarily have to agree with them. But to understand and then be compassionate for where they are. That's, to me, the art of forgiveness. True. Yeah. And we're always growing. Like, no one's one way for their whole life. We're always learning and growing, most of us, at least. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of times in our lives where we get stuck. Yeah. And, like, we can't find the lesson in things. And that's, you know, that's a, a mindset that we can perpetuate just because it's it's almost easier to feel that way. Yeah. Like a victim. Um, and that's actually how I felt, too. Like, after this... Um, breakup happened I went into total victim mode I was like why is this happening to me like she left me she cheated on me she broke up with me all I want to do is become the rock in this relationship and um you know I never really took um accountability for everything that I did too um and and you know what the the biggest the biggest thing that really sent me into an awakening was that right before we broke up she called me these these names, and I'll never forget it because of how it impacted me during my awakening. She called me a narcissist. She called me an obsessive-compulsive liar, um, a manipulator, and very controlling. And um, I would always deny it in that in that time because I didn't want to see myself any, any way other than the way I wanted to see myself. And... Um, it's really hard to challenge your identity. It's really hard to just let go of everything you think you are and then be unknown. Like you don't even know yourself. And that's what I think most people have an issue with in their spiritual awakenings or even just challenging things about themselves when people confront them or, or challenge them. And yeah, they become defensive. Right. Because they're not ready to shed anything about mm -hmm. themselves because it's going to contradict the way they believe they are. It's like pushing someone into self-development when they're not ready. They're not ready to admit mm -hmm that they're flawed in any way or that they've right. had any trauma. 
to let go. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about relationships because it exposes you to everything you really are. (laughs) And um, you can either deflect it, ignore it, deny it, push it back on someone else, project it. Or you can finally just acknowledge your shit and be like, okay, what is this saying about me? Like, what does this feeling or reaction say about me in this moment? And I didn't fucking realize that at all. Like, it took me 29 years of my life to really start questioning myself. And I had been inside this identity that I never wanted to let go of the whole time. Was it because of this relationship ending that you had the awakening or what was the process of the awakening? Yeah. So when she left, all I had left, like all she left me with really was feelings of like, I miss her kid. Like that was hard to detach from her kid. And, um, those four words, like, and those are really strong words to be called. Those are really strong words. All for different reasons. Yeah. I mean, they all kind of tie into each other they too. Do. But I um, I, uh, I started questioning myself because I didn't understand who I was at that time. Her, the way, what she called me and the way that she perceived me made me think about myself differently. Like, okay, shit, I need to start. Like, I don't even know who I am anymore. I mean, after that relationship... I lost my whole identity because when she left, I felt like I was incomplete. In fact, I felt like I was more than incomplete. I felt like I wasn't even anything. I made her so ingrained in my identity that when she left, I had nothing. And um, because I had nothing and all I had to hold on to were those four words, I thought I was a narcissist and I thought I was obsessive-compulsive. I thought a obsessive-compulsive liar thought I was controlling and I thought I was manipulative so I took those things and I started taking like I was like what why is this happening to me and um, I, I became suicidal and that was a moment where like I started just beating myself up for everything and I took responsibility for everything in the relationship took responsibility for being all those things I thought because I was a narcissist that I would never uh, love or be loved ever again and so it was like well, what's the point of this what's the point of living if I'm not going to be able to experience love because it all came up at the same time like all like you were taking responsibility for everything that you've done and all at the same time versus like it being a process is that why yeah everything like she broke up with me and then I was dealing with all this stuff and I thought there was something inherently wrong with me and I didn't ever feel like there was a future in experiencing life and love and that was enough and like my whole world came crashing down and for three three months I started asking myself like why is this happening to me why is this happening to me why is it like you know what the fuck is wrong with me and uh on the third month sometime in there I started getting a different question forming and I have no idea how it formed because I wasn't like ready to get out of there but it this question posited how can you become happy? I was like, I don't fucking know. I've never actually been happy in my whole life. I've always been filling this void of happiness with other people's thoughts of me, and I was always trying to make their thoughts better and better and better. And that wasn't fulfilling. Like, what? look where I am now. So I had to find out how I could become happy. And so the first thing I ever did was I picked up a book 
Um, and I'll plug this book all day, every day, because it's so amazing. It's called Radical Honesty by Brad Blanton. Okay. And um, granted that this book is only one piece of my self-awareness journey. It's not like the end-all, be-all cure for everything. So I don't want anyone listening to this to think that, oh, shit, I have problems. I'm going to go, like, I'm going to go read this book. That book will probably help you a little bit for sure, but don't rely on it. You know, that's my advice for that book. Anyway, <laughs> there's a lot more to the journey than just a book. Of course. Right? So I want to make sure that that's, um, that's known. And uh, got to do the work besides just read. Yeah, you can do all the work in the world. You can go to therapy for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. But if you never actually self-appreciate the work that you're doing, and if you're not going to apply what, you're, what you've learned, then that information is almost useless. That's it just is. regurgitated garbage. Yeah. So you actually have to apply it and you actually have to self-appreciate for it because your self-worth is directly tied to the amount that you're able to self-appreciate yourself. So self-appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that book, I started reading it. Um, did someone co- recommend it to you or did, how did you come across this book? I mean, there's so many different books that you can choose from. Yeah, so I was like, I think I'm a fucking obsessive compulsive liar. So I'm going to read a book about radical honesty and be like, how can I fix this shit? Um, if anyone's, uh, you know, averse to cussing, I'm sorry, but that, that's kind of like my whole, my whole gig. It's okay. <laughs> it's my enthusiasm factor. So, um, yeah, that's me. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to become more self-aware. I wanted to learn, you know, am I a liar? How do I become not a liar? Um, how can I become happy? And I think me, maybe learning how to become more honest with myself because my ex was always telling me like, you are a liar. You can never be honest. And so I was like, all right, well, that's probably the first thing I need to work on. So I read a couple pages every night in a book and I was like crying myself to sleep. I was like, fuck this. I hate this. Like, I'm just going to keep reading this. And you know, that book really exposed me to a lot about myself too. And it was able, like it helped me able, be able to cut through my own bullshit. Yeah, you have to be honest with yourself before you can be honest with anyone else. Mm-hmm. And um, the more self-reflection I did, you know, through this book and then through my own journey, I realized that I wasn't a narcissist. I only had narcissistic qualities. I was super fucking selfish. And I started going down this path of, like, why? Like, why was I selfish? Well, you know, and I just went down and down and down and down until I got to the root layer. And a lot of times we leave things unresolved and we're not able to really like get to the bottom of anything because we're not thinking things all the way through. We're just like, oh man, this is hard. I don't want to deal with this about myself. I'm just going to leave it at the point where like maybe midway I got down two layers and this is probably all I really want to go because it hurts to go further. But if you're running away from yourself and you're like, and your layers of inauthenticity that you need to shed, then what you're really doing is you're running away from your freedom and your joy and your happiness and everything that makes you real and raw and you. And, um, I finally did that for the first time in my life and it felt so good, but I never self appreciated myself for it. So, um, you're like so serious. (laughs) And then you're like, but (laughs) yeah, I was like, wow, that was said so well. And then you're like, but (laughs) I gotta throw that in there. Um, it's so important to self-appreciate. I cannot say that or stress that enough. Um, you got to pat yourself on the, on the back for the work that you that you do, you know, and the progress that you make. Yeah, and even in the suicidal depression, like not killing yourself that day, like that is fucking something to appreciate yourself for. And a lot of people in depression, 
they get that way because they feel like they're in an immersion bubble. They can't see the other perspectives that could shift them out of their current mode of thinking. That's the way I was. Like I was, this is happening to me. I am this way. It was so definitive that I did not leave room for any other options. So in order to get out of any specific feeling or emotion or situation in life, all you have to do is zoom out so that you can see more perspectives and with awareness comes choice. And now you can be like, okay, well, I'm aware of these different perspectives. You know what? It's not a really good use of my energy to choose this one. This one's making me feel depressed. So maybe I'm going to go this route, this route. Like how can I become happy? That's a whole new perspective because I asked a whole new question, right? Yeah. Change the words. Yeah. It's a shift, a frame, like a shifting of your frame of, of reference of your, of mind, mind frame. So, um, not sure where I was going with that. You're talking about the, your <laughs> awakening and the process of it. Yeah. Um, you started with honesty, radical honesty. Mm-hmm. And I started with radical honesty and I started like really seeing all my bullshit and all the stuff that really happened to me. And I understood finally that my identity was so wrapped up in the opinions of others. And I created this version of myself that I wanted other people to see. And I would act accordingly to that identity in order to continue or perpetuate those opinions any positive reactions towards me i would continue to do the actions that got those positive reactions any negative reactions would make me feel unworthy or like less than and so i would then hide whatever i did in the back of my mind so that they would never surface again emotions like i didn't want to feel weak um, you know, anything that got criticism or scorn or judgment, I did not want to be judged. Like, I did not want to feel like other people didn't like me because my whole image, how I wanted the world to see me was somebody likable. So that was like a total like identity contradiction and I could not let that happen. You know, that was a big thing. And so I, um, yeah, that identity was... Um, Where did you learn from all that? Because not everyone's going to like you. I had to learn that one the hard way. But it's just, mm-hmm. you know, to be weak is a form of growth. You know, to fail is growing. You know, it's the same way as being weak. So, you know, learning that not everyone's going to like you is a form of knowing that just because someone's judging me doesn't mean you have to take that negativity in. It's just they're going to think however they're going to think and you can't change their mind. You just what's how you feel about yourself is what matters. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying, what did you learn from that? Like you were saying all these things, like after all that happened, like, what did you learn? Like, what did you, what happened after that? Yeah. Well, I've finally learned that other people's opinions of me are just them looking at me and projecting whatever is mirroring back to them. Yeah. And once I realized that their opinions had nothing to do with me whatsoever, I started being more okay with who I really am. And, uh, over time, I started becoming more and more vulnerable about it because that was a way for me to strengthen my sense of self. And like, I became more vulnerable and I started opening up space for other people to become more vulnerable too. And it was just like a really profound experience. And then I started connecting with people on a much deeper level than I've ever connected before. And that was also something that caused me issues as well because the more vulnerable you get and the more connection you make with people, it's like you have to be almost a little bit cautious because you're opening gateways and and you have to actually be really, really intentional with, with that. Because let's just say some people are vulnerable with 
like you're vulnerable with somebody else right mm -hmm. and then they get the feeling like oh my gosh you like i haven't felt this connection with somebody in a while because you're being you know so vulnerable and now i feel like seen and now i can i see you and it's like wow this is but in order to maintain authentic connection and not let there be any room for like feelings yeah. or like setting boundaries in terms of that relationship whether it's friends or otherwise you do have to be you have to set your intentions yeah and be like look i'm connecting with you as a friend right now i just want to share this with you um rather than leaving it open for other people to perceive it in such a way that they could misinterpret yeah, it take it the wrong yeah. way and then end up getting hurt mm -hmm. and um i became super vulnerable when i started realizing like wow this is me like this feels great and um, you know, that actually caused me problems too, because I started, you know, connecting really deeply with people and again, you know, hurting people because I wasn't upfront with, with what I meant by this. And so that's actually what brought me to the revelation of that. The difference between a fuck boy and anybody who's just like trying to experience life is someone is the intention behind their actions and their ability to express that and be honest about it. So if someone's up front and says, hey, you know, I, I want something casual. This is this is what my intention is. And that's just someone who's experiencing life versus someone who's leading someone on. Yeah. I mean, that's the major underlying theme is that you're not manipulating anybody or being dishonest or admitting your own truth in order to get what you want. Because yeah. at that point, it's consensual. Yeah. When do you think in a relationship does the guy tell the girl his attention his intentions immediately like um in a relationship or, or in like just dating, like dating. Yeah. Yeah, dating. yeah as soon as possible okay because you don't want to leave any room for people to misinterpret stuff like that's the effective art of communication and um if you can communicate really well like you're going to have an amazing relationship at some point so yeah, you just have to be intentional up front as soon as possible. Make yourself be known and what you want. But um, yeah, know who you are, know, know what you want, and then make that known. Yeah, I think, you know, living in Los Angeles, I, as a woman, we all go through that where we, without them saying it, we know that what their intentions are, and then they take till the third or fourth date, and then they said it, and then we get upset, but the whole time we really knew what their intentions were from, mm. the, from the start. Because there's just so many women for men to choose from as women choose to men. Mm -hmm. So there's just so many options. Yeah. So we just all have to be honest with each other about like, what is that we're looking for? Why are yeah. we here? Do we just want to be friends? Do we just want to hook up? Like it, every relationship is just an agreement between two people or more if you're into that. Right. So depending on your agreement, like you can have any type of relationship you want. No judgment here. What is something that you say to girls now when you go on a date? I don't go on dates. And that's so interesting that you brought that up because I really wanted a chance to speak about this. Um, I believe dating has this negative connotation. And it's this canned approach to meeting people and then deciding whether or not they are worthy of you. Who the fuck wants that? Like you're in a situation where everything feels like awkward and intimate and it's like, do do they like me? Do I like them? And I feel like now I'm, going into that whole Vince Vaughn thing from uh, that movie, I forgot what it was called, but 
um, is similar to that in a sense, right? Because you now you're in this situation, like let's just say you and I are on a date right now. Mm-hmm. But the whole time we're like, all right, I'm just looking for the things that I don't like about this person because you know, I have so many options. And if they're not gonna meet my standards, then you know, they're almost disposable. Yeah. But I don't, I don't ever want to fe- make other people feel like they're disposable, and I don't want to feel that way either about like someone treating me that way. So for me, dating isn't more so like this filtering system, you know, of people worthy of you. Like that sounds so bad. It does. Right, but it isn't that really a, bad? Isn't that in essence what it is? It is. I hate dating. Yeah, and everyone's like it's like interviews. I know one really makes it past the first interview. Yeah. Yeah, so my whole ideology about that is like, why don't we just start out as friends? And instead of calling it a date, why don't we just be like, hey, let's just go on like a little friend excursion or like a friend date, you know? Let's just, let's just not put any pressure on ourselves to like or not like each other, right? Expectations. Yeah. Expectations are a form of attachment, and that attachment is going to lead you up for disappointment. So if you don't have any ex- expectations, you can actually fall into something a lot more effortlessly. And as a friend, you know, like if we we're friends, I'm going to like you for like or accept you for who you are, even if there are th- some things I don't like about you. And even in in relationships, a lot of people like, you know, 10 years into the relationship, they start even <laughs> even sooner than that. They feel like they don't like some things about their partner. You know what they might have overlooked in the beginning become really big things that they don't like at some point. Yeah, red flags that they didn't notice because they were focusing on something else. Mm-hmm. But now they're in a, a long-term relationship, and it's like, oh, fuck, well, I have to deal with this shit, and maybe I made a mistake. But if you're really coming from the angle of, hey, let's be friends first, you can see all those things, and you can choose to accept them for who they are, wherever they are on, on their journey. And then at that point, you can be like, hey, now I know who you are. I want to take you on a date now. I like that. You know, and it's like, just be upfront, be intentional and that's it. Like it doesn't have to be so complicated and canned and manufactured and this whole like filter, filter, filtering system. Swiping and the dating world is just horrible these days. Yeah. Yeah. That's causing so much disappointment in the dating world today. Everyone has a complaint about dating. Everybody. Not one person can say, oh, I love dating. Do you know anybody who could say that? <laughs> No. Right. So, um, yeah. Unless they're dating someone long term. I mean, they loved the one person that they found because of dating. Right. At that point, it's like. They're not really dating anymore. Mm hmm. So. But that's another interesting thing is like, why do we go on dates anyway? Right. Because we want to find a partner. And why do we want to find a partner? Because we feel like we'd be happier with one. Right. Mm hmm. Why do we feel like we'll be happier with one? Because we don't feel happy alone. Is that a thing? Could be it, but also they want to spend a life with someone and have experience life with, you know, one person and start a family, you know, and just, it's not necessarily they don't like being alone, but they just might want another person to do things with. That's just one side of. Yeah, I think it's both, right? There's a lot of people out there who are, including myself, you know, when I got into relationships in the past, it wasn't because I was ready for them just because I needed somebody at the time to like fill that void that I was I couldn't fill myself and so in in essence I used people to feel good and to feel like I wasn't alone and to feel like I wasn't 
worthless. You know, I needed their their acceptance of me. And that's I feel like a lot of people actually go through that because, you know, if you're on a dating app and you ask people, how long has it been since your last relationship? Most of them, maybe not most of them, maybe that's a generalization, but a lot of them will say like, oh, two or three, two or three months, four or five months. And like they want to experience dating as a, a way to help them heal from their, yeah. from their relationship. And, you know, I'm no judgment here. That's okay. But, you know, that was me. Like I got out of a relationship at some point and I was like immediately fucking other people because I needed something to, to help me. Something external to me. Like I derived my sense of self in the external and therefore I derived my problems and my solutions from the external as well. But I didn't realize that I was both the problem and the solution. Because you were creating it. I was creating everything. And because I was running away from myself, I was self-sabotaging. And then I was causing other people pain. You say, you asked the question, when was your last relationship? And I was thinking about myself. And I didn't know how to, if you were to ask me that question right now, I wouldn't know how to answer that two years, (laughs) year and a half. Yeah. You know, it's just. You just kind of focus on yourself. Sometimes it's just good to focus on yourself. But I just was staring at you and I was like, when was my last relationship? I was listening to you. <laughs> yeah. But I really was like, when was my last re- like real relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a year and a half. That was like a little bit more than casual dating. I don't have to say it was kind of a semi-relationship. It was a year and a half ago. Yeah, well, that's impressive in a way. Like that's something <laughs> to acknowledge and appreciate yeah, about yourself because you're taking sure. time, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's just been those, hor- the, yeah, dating is not fun at all. <laughs> yeah. No one said it was, but it's not. Right. So I feel like it comes, dating, in a sense, almost comes from a vibration of desperation. Yeah. I know that I've gone on dates just because I was bored, like made plans because I was bored or I didn't want to be home by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, made plans with people that I didn't even know. I knew I wasn't attracted to and I knew that I would have no interest in seeing again but didn't have anything better to do mm-hmm. i hate yeah. to admit that but i'm you know speaking my truth and that's yeah. i think a lot of people do that totally i've been i've done that yeah absolutely um not only just being bored but also because it feels nice when someone matches with you yeah. it's almost another validation attempt it is yeah it is it is you can order up a warm slice of hot validation in like under a minute to your door like pizza you know what i mean like mm-hmm. And, th- and that's just the world we live in, in a sense, because people, like, really the root of my message overall is that I became a fuckboy because I didn't understand how to derive my sense of self-worth from within. And so now I'm trying trying to help people understand that they've actually been conditioned by society, by, like, they've been programmed when they were a kid, because we, as humans, it's human nature to want to f- be fit, like, to fit in and be accepted, to be loved. And so we'll go to these measures in order to get that. And so, like, in your friend groups, you'll start becoming like your friends in order to be more liked, more accepted, more loved. And you'll do what people tell you to get that. You'll accept any form of love. If you don't know how to love yourself and you're living externally to yourself, then you'll accept any form of love as long as it comes with the label of love. I think that's very common nowadays to accept any kind of love mm-hmm. because you don't love yourself properly. And, yeah. 
And think about it, right? Like everybody has a different story and everyone's definition of love is filtered through, you know, their history and how they were given love and how they've um, shown love to other people. Their, all their experiences totaled up into this one little package, one little word called love. And then they get into a relationship with someone else who's had the exact opposite maybe experience. You know, they've had a different experience of love, right? It's all forms. Uh, it's all formed from everyone else's individual experiences. So our ideas of love are going to be completely different. Yeah. And then we get into this relationship, right? And if we haven't been able to show ourselves love and, and self-love, then we're going to accept this other person's idea of love because it feels good, because it's filling a void within ourselves that we haven't been able to fill ourselves. And um, we wouldn't be able to give that type of love back. Yeah. You're just accepting it, but not know how to, you know, reciprocate. Yeah. It's kind of like the love languages in a sense, right? Yeah. But um, there is no universal definition of love because everyone has a different experience. So if you haven't been able to give yourself what you need and love yourself that way, then you're going to get into a relationship with somebody trying to love you in their definition of love and it might not feel like love. And then you're going to get into this like, oh, you're not loving me properly because I want love this way. And it might not feel like love and you might get into a lot of arguments that way. So um, self-love is super important important because now you understand how you deserve to be loved and how you deserve to be treated yeah i mean i think that everyone gets into relationships and then wonder why they fail and it's for that specific reason yeah and it really it's just this one big miscommunication isn't it yeah well, how did you get started in writing or wanting to write death to fuck boy like what is that exactly so i'm actually thinking about changing the name okay yeah this is a big thing i've never said this ever before um i'm gonna i think i'm gonna change the name from death to fucked boys to maybe like just dtf a memoir okay because death to anything gives this kind of connotation that there's something really wrong going on here and men do not need any more shame no, women don't need any more shame so i don't want there to be any con convoluted or mis, uh, any misinterpretation of my message and saying death to anything might make people feel shamed. So regardless of my intention, I don't want that to come across as I'm trying to shame men like my former self. So it's going to be DTF memoir. A memoir. Okay. That's a placeholder holder title right now. I'll talk to the, the publishers and see what happens, but um, I started writing because I needed an outlet. And this is one of the one of the biggest tips of advice I can give to anybody going through healing is really write out all of your feelings, all of your emotions, get it out of your head, get it out of your heart because not only does it take more time when you're writing because it takes more time when you're writing, you're actually thinking about it longer. So you actually have more time to process the information that you're actually coming up with. And so that's really profound in the sense that normally if you're just thinking about it and you're like going, getting it through your head, you're not resolving anything. It's just going in one, one ear, out the other, kind of like through this invisible ether through your mind and just like a thought that shoots out. Yeah. So write it down so that you can spend more time. Literally every stroke of the pen is like 
you know, seconds. And when you think about it, it could be just like a millisecond, nanosecond. So not only is it, does it take more time and you're allowing yourself to process more, but the moment that you start writing down, you start thinking and you're, your, your subconscious opens up and you get access to a lot of the feelings that you didn't even think about. Those aren't there on with you on a daily basis. It's like therapy in a way. Yeah. So now you're conscious of all these feelings and emotions and thoughts and, and replaying the history of what happened. And it's painful. But the fact that you're able to do that is now allowing you to purge all that harmful shit in your subconscious. So, the, yeah. So I started writing and I started writing everything from my childhood. I went through that whole like why, 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 why thing. Like why am I this way? And then I got all the way down to like my ego and I started writing it down I went to my childhood and I started like understanding why I was this way and over time it became a book I wrote so much I wrote 250 pages just like <laughs> why I was insecure well I was sure I was vegan I had a small penis like <laughs> I, everything right I never got female attention uh, blah 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 and um, then you know, it came into like, why was I sleeping with women? And I started writing that down. I was replaying all the scenarios of, of which I was, I was doing that. And, you know, it really all boiled down to the fact that I didn't have a, a way to feel my own self-worth. It was always from the external. Always. And how do you feel now? Today, July 21st. I feel like every day is a breath of fresh air. Every day is a chance to connect with other people. Every chance, every day is, a, is another day to self-appreciate something. And because I can self-appreciate, I can be like grateful. And grateful is a state of bliss. And once you get to a state of bliss, you can actually surrender to life and, and allow the universe to push you in the direction that is the real you. What would you say to someone that's currently struggling in their self-worth that's uh, needing the outside validation that's listening? So first tip would be to go back into your childhood and understand why you feel the need to let other people's opinions of you control you. And it usually stems from some incident or some collection of incidents in your childhood where you didn't get the love that you felt like you deserved. And you can actually go back into your past and rewrite your story with love. And so like I mentioned earlier, in order to get out of a specific emotion or situation or feeling, you come at it from a different perspective. You zoom out, right? So at the same time, you experienced, it's really crazy to think about, right? Our reality is based on the meaning that we assign our thoughts. A lot of people think our thoughts create our reality, but it's really not just our thoughts because we have so many of them. We're actually filtering out those thoughts based on what how our identity is perceiving them so we assign meaning to things based on our current conception of self and our conception of self is based on who we think we are based on the past and all these experiences and we've we have beliefs about ourselves from our childhood that we don't even like we don't need to hold on to anymore yeah it's a vicious cycle that we just keep cycling through you know every year every you know every thing we go through it's just the same thing yeah until you break it all right, so you got to go back in your past. You got to rewrite your story with a different perspective. And the perspective that I like is all right, I understand that someone did this. Like, I took this at the time as someone doing this to me. But really, with my more advanced awareness now, I come back and I say, hey, that person was dealing with their own shit. 
they wasn't they weren't doing it to me they were just dealing with their own pain and now that i come at this with aware awareness i can understand and be compassionate and forgive them and that forgiveness allows me to rewrite that story with love and so in order to develop your self-worth it's not only just going back and doing the root trauma work but it's also being able to self-appreciate when you do just in general even even if you don't do that be like i'm self i'm appreciating myself for getting out of bed this morning i'm appreciating myself for drinking water when i wake up i'm appreciating myself like all the small things that you can appreciate yourself for take the time to do it because that's going to build your self-trust and your conception of self and the way that you see yourself in the world like over time that compounds and we focus so much on our bad shit and we don't focus enough on our good shit and so we don't allow ourselves to balance it out so let's we got to finally balance that shit out yeah i think that if most people go back and rewrite their story with love they would be able to let go of the resentment that they hold towards people and why they're not able to grow because of resentment you know it holds you back and if they go back and are able to let go they can move on properly yeah it's so profound it's so Mm -hmm. um it's such hard work though in the beginning because you feel like you don't want to face the awful truth yeah nobody wants i mean it's scary but once you do you wish you would have done it sooner Mm -hmm. but you can actually turn the awful truth into the awesome truth. And that's what I did. That was that was kind of like my journey in a sense. Like I thought I was a narcissist, but really I was just narcissistic. And there's a total difference. One is not curable and one is like just I was very selfish. Right? Um I thought I was an obsessive compulsive liar, but that's not because I was lying to myself my whole life. Because I wanted people to believe I was one way. And I didn't really know who I was. So I was just creating a distance between who I thought I was and who I actually was. A distance between who I was appearing to be and who I was at my core. It sounds like you were really hard on yourself, too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm getting that from you. (laughs) Totally. Um, I went through an intense boot camp that I put on myself. And I went through this journey alone. I isolated myself from everybody and I cut out all the toxicities in my little self-care, self-care regimen. So anybody, like any people, situations, or things that were not serving me, cut them out. So like, you know, friends that were, you know, only calling me when they, when they needed something. Um, situations like alcohol, anything with involving alcohol, that was uh, a trigger for me. So I did not want to... You don't drink anymore? Uh, very rarely. Very, very rarely. But alcohol is a vibration depleter. Like, it is the one, the most horrible thing for your vibration is, like, you can go and research this. Uh, anybody can research this, but um, alcohol has been known from very uh, early on to be a form of population control. Because, let's think about that. I mean, I don't want to get into too much of this because it's just alcohol, right? But, yeah. um, we live in a in a society where we're you know working these nine to five jobs. We have to you know do these things and work for the man, and in order to cope, we have these vices. And the biggest one that's most accessible is alcohol. And so our biggest vice is alcohol, and it allows us to be like, okay, now I feel numb. I don't have to think about everything because that's really all it is. 
you're numbing yourself and that's the opposite of healing I was running away from myself my whole life and I was using alcohol to help me with that to run away but really when you start running to yourself in a sense not chasing yourself or chasing anything but just finally like taking inventory and, and, and doing the work and just being like okay you know what this is who I am and my darkness doesn't really have to be darkness as long as I can look at it in a way that's beneficial yeah and I can if you said anything about your darkness I can help you come up with a way to be like to leverage that in a way that where it's useful for you right mm-hmm. so everyone's darkness it doesn't always have to be darkness like even comedians right their darkness they go on stage and they talk about it and it's like a creative outlet because all that true, yeah. all sadness and anger and and really any emotion all it is is energy emotion is just energy in motion and so when you think about emotion as just energy, then the meaning we assign to that energy is the feeling that we're going to be associating with it. So if you assign a different meaning to any, uh, any, any, um, sorry, any, if you assign a different meaning to any energetic response, you can get a different feeling out of it. Yeah, because you're looking at it differently because you're attaching a different word to it mm-hmm. or emotion. Right. Yeah, it's all different mindset of, you know, how you can look at an event completely different if you just, you know, change your mindset towards that. Right. So we got to get out of that immersion bubble and we got to get, we got to increase our awareness. Yeah. Got to zoom out. Well, you're here in Los Angeles. What are you excited for for the remainder of the year? Well, uh, I'm excited for more collaborations. Okay. uh, Meeting new people, um, building my tribe. Um just connecting with people who are on you know similar wavelengths and uh i'm really really excited to be able to continue the work that i'm doing because i'm noticing it like you know there are a lot of people in my inbox that are saying you know your words are really helping me and if i can help one person a day like that's so fulfilling mm-hmm. but here's the thing about ego and this is really interesting to me is that our ego will never be completely gone. So we have to figure out how to integrate it. And previously I was using my ego for self-serving reasons, to validate myself, to sleep with women, to do this. But I realized like I can actually use my ego because all ego is is a leveraging mechanism to do something, right? So if your identity is, you know, a former fuckboy awakened, you can use your ego in order to help people, but it's not, everyone has this negative connotation about ego, but it's really not. And this is the perspective shift, right? You mm-hmm. can see ego in a whole new light. And you can say, hey, ego, thank you so much for allowing me the, the motivation in the morning to help more people today. You know? Because that's your ego, to, you know, motivating you. It's a leveraging mechanism to do, period. That's a great wor- way of looking at it. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Well, if somebody wanted to connect with you, collaborate with you, or just follow you in general, how would somebody be able to do that? Yeah. So um, people can call me at seven seven. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> five five five. <laughs> um, you can connect me with Instagram at Miles Rights. That's M Y L E S W R I T E S. Um, on Facebook, I have an, a Facebook group called the Inner Circle, and so. I'm going to spell that one out, too, because there's a little thing in there that I have to spell out. So it's called the um, 
inner circle W forward slash Miles Scott. So Miles with a Y. Um, and then I'm really excited to announce that I'm going to be doing a self-care accountability club. So that's going to allow people who have trouble self-caring the opportunity to go on a self-care journey with me together. So I'm going to share a lot of my self-care tips. We're going to hold each other accountable every day to remain ruthless in our pursuit of our self-care. And um, I'm also excited to announce that I've got uh, courses coming. That's exciting. Yeah. And uh, these are going to allow me to put all of... So when I was in that suicidal depression and I came out of it and afterwards, like I went through this crazy boot camp and it was so disciplined. It was hyper-disciplined, radical discipline. And that was so extreme that I got so burnt out and... Afterwards, I realized, like, all right, these are the things that I would do again. These are things I wouldn't do again. And so I created a formula for people using the lessons that I learned throughout my, like, radical discipline um, healing journey. And that formula is going to become available for everybody in these courses. Exciting. Do you have a time frame? Like, when should they be looking out for this to launch? I think I'm going to do a beta test for people. So it's going to be, the first one's going to be the self-trust module, right? It's a very, very short mini course, and it's going to help people um, learn how to trust themselves, learn how to trust their intuition, um, you know, feel more confident and empowered. And um, I just want to get the format right and make sure that everyone's, like, getting the, the value that they deserve. And then once that happens, then I'm going to um, drop the rest of everything. So, um might need to <laughs> sign up for that too. <laughs> I'm always working on myself. I mean, we're all, all a work in progress. So that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you, you know, spending the time with me on the Sunday afternoon and it was lovely meeting you. Lovely meeting you too, Franny. And I appreciate you having me here. It's been such a pleasure. I'm really of grateful course. to be here. Well, that's a wrap. I appreciate you for listening to the end. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please share with your friends and subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the upcoming episodes. Feel free to send me a message on claimingyourtruth.com or you can reach out to me on Instagram at Franny Nicole on the go. I appreciate you and remember, live your life in gratitude.